Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of northern Iraq this time. And we have the Back to Jerusalem team, kind of our inner core team, sitting together. We have about 40 individuals who came to Iraq together with us on a vision trip. It's something that we've been doing for a couple of years. We often bring people here around January of every year, and we do a distribution of food in one of the villages that we work in. And it's a great opportunity just to share with people what Back to Jerusalem is about, what we do. It also allows believers to kind of see what's taking place in a place like Iran, Iraq. Uh, allows them to see kind of the work that we're doing here in the Middle East. And one of the one of the great things about this time is it feels like there's a lot of believers that have cabin fever and they want to leave their home. They want to go out and do something for the Lord because 2020 sucked for everybody. It was on lockdown. So now that we've kind of started to wrap up this trip, I've sat down with uh, Pastor Al from our U.S. office, Will and Bethany from the U.K. office, just to kind of talk about what they feel uh, regarding this trip. So as we've been here for the last couple of days doing kind of the distribution of food, we've been going and seeing some of the sites here in northern Iraq. What's been your feeling, Will? I think it's been one of the best trips. I've been coming here now for a couple of years to Iraq, and I think this has been one of the best trips that we've been on um, just because this one has been more diverse. We've got to do so many things. Um, it wasn't just about seeing the projects we're doing, but we got to connect with the head of the Peshmerga and spend an evening with him or a day with him and we've got to connect with you know I got to stop you right there because that was a big deal like was this deal. this is the general this is the commanding officer of all the Peshmerga forces and he we didn't just have a meal with him like we didn't just go to a restaurant and say hey come and join us he said come to my place I'm going to host you I make wine, I'm gonna serve that wine to you. I'm, I've got food from my farm that I'm gonna to serve to you. I'm gonna take care of all of you guys. I'm gonna bring my security guards and, and take care of you, usher you everywhere you're gonna to go to provide 24 hour security. And while we're having a meal with him, there's this smoldering smoke like right over our shoulder where they had just dropped a bomb like the, the Turkish military knew that that's where he lived and kind of dropped a bomb right close to him. But he was like, no, don't worry. I've got you guys protected and safe. And I never felt unsafe. No, I never felt unsafe at all either. Um, in fact, at the airport, as soon as we arrived at the airport, it's the first time we've ever had like a whole security detail watching over us. There's a guy standing there with his pistol strapped on his thigh, and when we came out, they have their AK um, pistols, and they were with us on the whole time, just watching over us and having our back, even though we didn't feel any threat and we didn't see any threat, they were there with us the whole time, and that was all provided by this, um, this guy, Mr. Mohammed, who is the head of the Peshmerga, and he, he just heard that we were coming and when he heard that we were coming into uh, Kurdistan, he was just so excited and he said, I need to see them. I need to um, bring them to my house. I need to feed them and I need to get to meet them. Yeah, and this is your first time, Bethany, to Iraq. Yeah. Have you been to the Middle East before? I haven't. 
So first time to the Middle East, kind of thoughts? Thoughts on the Middle, <laughs> on the Middle East? Yeah. Because now you're kind of an expert. I'm not an expert. I mean, I kind of felt like I was experiencing it with everybody else. But kind of like Will was saying, we've got to do so many different things. It's like it's not like that we had the same thing happening every day. We got to go see some sites, historical sites. We were able to go into the villages. We were able to go to a refugee camp. So I think we really got kind of a, a great overview of here. Yeah, and the sites that we went to go see, they weren't like we were going to see Ferris wheels or like, you know, theme parks. These, this was, these were biblical sites because we are in the heart of the beginning of like biblical literature. So when you look at Babylon, when you look like, or look at Ur, the hometown of Abraham, when you, when you look at the, the Assyrian empire where um, Jonah was sent out to go to Nineveh, like we were in the county of Nineveh and then we went to the tomb of Nahum. So, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about historical sites, we're actually walking in the footsteps of the Bible. Yeah, and when we're with the team, that's what so many of them are saying is, uh, you know, like we're walking through the desert and people are like, do you think Abraham was around here? Or do you think maybe Moses walked around here somewhere? And you, you think about it in a, like, I mean, it's hot, right? We're here in summer or the end of summer. It's hot, there's very little shelter in the desert areas and you think, if they were in a desert for 40 years, I mean, it, it seems even more miserable when you're here. Not, not that this has been miserable. It's just, you, yeah. you, you suddenly, all the practical yeah. stuff, like it's not this super spiritual thing yeah. that you can't have any connection to. Now it's, okay, no, I'm right here where they would have been. I get why they complained so much. I get why they had such an issue with the yeah. fact that they were there for so long. I was here for a couple of days and I complained all the time. This, this heat sucks. I was dripping with sweat all the time. Couldn't consume enough water. Uh, and right now we're doing this this interview kind of or this discussion in a air-conditioned room which is such a luxury right but Abraham would have had none of that you know um, I, I mean I don't even know how Shadrach Meshach and Abednego knew they were in a fiery furnace like how do you know when you're <laughs> going from outside to inside yeah. like they were dancing around maybe because the furnace was cooler <laughs> than what it was outside I, I mean you really start to understand like some of the, the the issues that are taking place with all the wars that are happening all the time of course there's wars happening all the time when you're hot this often, you can't help but to be angry. Like you walk around in a constant state of anger and no, want to attack people. Also, that's why having 40 people here and we didn't have a single argument is pretty incredible. That is incredible. I believe that was supernatural. I mean, Pastor Al, you've been with us before. I really believe that there was something spiritual because 40 people here. Here's what I was worried about. Out of that 40, even if we take 5%, which is not an outrageous number, and we say two people are going to be hard, they're going to be difficult, they're going to, be, they're going to have problems in dealing with, and they're going to be prima donnas that, you know, they, they, they want special bathrooms, they want gold-plated cups when they drink, they, you know, they want a, a team of servants that will fan them and feed them grapes. I thought that we would have at least two of those kind of people with us, and we simply didn't. No, that's such a blessing to be sure. I, uh, I guess all of us, we had the five teams that we had dividing up with people, with that many people to go. And uh, I can speak for my team, and I think the others will echo the same thing. They, there was a spirit of oneness and unity together. Uh, one of the things, as you were talking to Will a moment ago, that came to my mind, yes, this area is such a land of history, and, and uh, as our precious sister Barbara has 
give me the vision of maybe Abraham walking through the valley, through the hook on his way out of the, this country, having been called out by God to a place he didn't know anything about kind of thing. And as we've already talked about the, the different sites that are here, like Nahum's grave and that sort of thing. Uh, but these people, they, they, they came together as one. I was really moved and touched by the fact that before we ever started this trip, uh, our, our communication platform, Telegram, they self-initiated an inner group of prayer that every week or a certain season of weeks before we came here, and I made a couple of them with them and, and had the privilege of them praying for one another, lifting their burdens, concerns, uh, issues. You could hear the sense of excitement and anticipation. And uh, so it was just really quite a moving experience. And then to see them here, in some of our places have not been too accommodating, as we all know, but they hit it just in stride. They, they, I thought maybe the first morning that they didn't have the luxury of the West as we're accustomed to, that maybe there might be a little unsettledness. But quite the contrary. I had one that just shared with me, she was just thankful she had a place to take a, take a bath, take, you know, take a shower, uh, a little different than what we're accustomed to, but she just was thankful for what Father had provided for her. And it's just a sense of humility. And there was a sense of, you know, you know yourself, there was one or two particularly just were chomping at the bit, wanting to share Jesus with people. You have to admire that spirit. That is what it's all about, right? Sharing his love and his kindness and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but even though we, they finally recognized this is more of a reconnaissance mission for the work in a larger uh, way, uh, they, they were at peace about that. But they brought such fervor, such commitment, such zeal to it. And I, I had a lovely group. I really did. And I think every one of our team leaders would say the same thing about their respective persons and uh, didn't have a bad day, didn't have a bad day. Had some long days, but didn't have a bad day. Yeah, every day was long. We were busy from morning till night. Uh, one of the things that I forgot about was, you're right, there was a self-initiation from the very beginning to do prayer every week. Yep. I believe what we have experienced is a result of that prayer. So. We did prayer every morning together. We did uh, prayer every evening together. And I remember one evening, just two nights ago on Wednesday night, um, it was just a powerful spirit that kind of fell over everybody. Now, keep in mind, we have people from all walks of faith. So we have, you know, the conservative members of the church. We have the charismatic members of the church. And nobody judged anybody. Those that spoke in tongues or those that felt the power of the Holy Spirit did not judge those that enjoyed God's presence in a more conservative way. And those that were more conservative in prayer enjoyed or did not look down upon those that were expressing their faith in a charismatic way we saw a 14 year old boy lay down and yes we had a 14 year old boy join us we had a couple of teenagers join us on this trip uh, came and joined us and that makes me so excited that we have younger people joining us not on a on a mission trip to Hawaii not on a mission trip you know to Mexico City which that's good I'm talking about going to the 1040 window, the area where the gospel hasn't been preached, as a short-term mission trip for a 14-year-old. And that 14-year-old was on his face, and he was crying out, fire, fire, God, bring the fire. And I'm like, holy cow. And we just continued to pray. We had a long day that day. You would think that most people would be tired, but we were energized. I was energized uh, in that service. I didn't want to leave. Eugene, thinking about this young lad, Zephaniah, he, he was quite an individual at the center where we were distributing the food in one of the refugee camps. 
there were a couple of, of approximately same age children as himself or young teenagers and they were just watching and observing him and he was a workaholic. He was lifting these pretty heavy crates and boxes, position them and station them and he was just like a machine going back and forth and he was just laboring and they were observing and watching him and all these adults standing around, you know. He was a precious young, is a precious young man. Yeah, he was this blonde-headed kid. He's pretty small for 14, which I I identify with because I didn't I didn't actually start to grow until I was 18. I didn't grow facial hair until I was like in my 20s. So I identify, we have a 14-year-old girl and then a 14-year-old boy. And the 14-year-old girl looks like she could be 18. And the 14-year-old boy looks like he could be 10. And this little blonde boy, uh, somebody asked him for water and he ran into the store. I mean, that kid had so much hustle. He goes into the store and he comes running out and he's like throwing elbows to get through the crowd to get the water to the destination. There was nothing stopping him. He had that determination. And I just, I, how many, how many parents with their children were traveling on this trip? Do you think? Um, we had, so we had two, well, yeah, so we had a parent and his son, we had parents, oh no, no, one parent and her two children. And then we had an aunt and uncle with their niece and nephew. And then I think lady, we had a lady in my group that has a married daughter and her husband here on the trip as well. Yep. So that makes a unit of four. So we got families that are joining us with their children. So a lot of people are like, you know, is it safe to take my child to Iraq? Is it safe to take my child to the places where, and in fact, I was attacked on dingdash.com saying that it is irresponsible for you to do this. Um, it, by you doing this, you are risking lives. And uh, these are fellow believers that believe that you should not go into certain areas with people um, and put their lives in danger because that is a that brings down the testimony of Christ. That puts people in undue danger and that I was being irresponsible and uh, quote unquote irresponsible and reckless for doing that. Okay, I might be irresponsible and reckless, but is it because I do that? No, I mean, one of the, uh, the guys in my group, he is, oh, man, like 16, I think he's something like that. And the only reason he came on the trip is because his mum and his sister was on the trip. His sister's 14. And uh, he, I said to them all the first day, I sat them all down and I said, okay, why are you here? And he said, well, I just don't, I don't really want to be here, to be completely honest with you. So I said, you don't want to be here? Why? He said, well, I'm just here to make sure that my mom and my sister get back home safe. I said, okay. But then today is our final day. So this morning we had our team meeting and we sat down and I said, okay, how have you found it? Because you didn't want to be here. And he said, it has changed me so much. He said, I'm just praying for when I can come back. Wow. I said, really? He said, yeah. And it, it, it impacted him so much. He didn't even want to be here. He came because of what you're saying. He thought it was so dangerous for them to come. And it's had such a profound impact on him that, that he's like, when can I come back? Being irresponsible, I think, is not being where God calls you. So that could be staying home because, I mean, our time is our time. God already knows when our time is and the safest place to be is where he calls us. And so I, I just don't get it because if God calls you, go. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be safe, but you're in the middle of God's will. That's where you need to be. Mm -hmm. And who knows, like people would talk to me about it and said, I would rather die in Iraq on a mission trip than to be hit by a car back home, you know, getting my mail from the mailbox. Because when it's my day, it's my day and I'm not stopping it. And which one sounds cooler? 
it's dying in Iraq or being hit by outside by by your mailbox? Dude, if I ever get hit by a mailbox, <laughs> and that's how I go, at least make up a good story. So don't don't tell people that. Yeah. Uh, let me touch on a more touchy subject. Let's let's look at a subject that a lot of people debate right now. Um, there are people saying that you shouldn't travel because there's a worldwide pandemic and by um, going to a place, you know, traveling around period, not just leaving your home, you know, stay home, save lives. Um, there have been 40 people that came with us on this trip. They trusted that we would keep them relatively safe on this trip and they are exposing themselves to possibly getting the virus. Um, we just had our test yesterday, so we know that we were negative yesterday. We don't know about today, but we were negative for COVID yesterday. Do you feel, I know that what you're going to answer, obviously, because we're here, but do you feel that that's being irresponsible? Because not only are you risking the chance of getting the virus, you're risking the chance of getting the virus and being a carrier for a couple days in an airport, on an airplane, in the hotel, at a restaurant, and giving it to other people, spreading it around the world. Maybe even getting the virus in Iraq, Dubai, wherever you're flying through, and going back home and taking it back to your family. Uh, I think the first problem is that people trusted us because that's the first mistake they made is, is trusting us to bring them in and take care of them. And, and it, it worked out. It worked out. We're all going to get on the plane tonight and head out, hopefully. But um, yeah, yeah, hopefully. But we do um, have one person in the pastor. Al has not got his negative test yet. He's the only one out of 40 people without a negative test. But no, I don't think it is being irresponsible because I can't imagine like Jesus saying, you know what, I'm not going to minister to people because there's a pandemic. I can't imagine um, Mother Teresa saying, I'm not going into the slums today because there's like a new outbreak there. Mm -hmm. If we're in the middle of God's will, we need to be willing to put ourselves at risk. And the people are here. We get to go home today. The people stay here. And so if we're not going to come see them, who is? Let me ask this of the people. So last night we were doing a distribution, right? We had all these people come out and we were in a village and we were, we were serving, you know, handing out vegetables and food and baby formula. Um, do you think you would have had any chance of ever meeting them online? No, I mean, they have nothing. We're, we're there to give them the essential necessities to live and feed their families. So the chances of <laughs> connecting with them online is, is not high. No. So we have four people here just I'm going to do a survey. This is a very easy survey because there's four of us. Out of us four, how many are vaccinated? Okay, so we got 25%. The Brit. <laughs> the, Brit. The, the Brit. But you're kind of vaccinated, right? Like, Pastor Al, didn't you, did you have COVID? No, no, I haven't had COVID. Don't intend to, but God's grace. <laughs> uh, no. I, I did not I, know that. I thought you had COVID. No, no you did not. Hey, Jose, no. Thank God. Uh, you know, and for those that had it, my, I realize it's a horrible situation, but God has not called us to fear. And I, I've seen fear grip the world, not just our nation. And for me, I, in the last, due to this trip, I have been tested now five times out of nine days. And if there's any safe place to be, it would be in an airport. Everybody there is either vaxxed or they're, uh, they've got uh, their test to show for it. And that's a much higher percentage than the general population. Yeah, but last night may not have been the safest place to be because as we were doing the distribution of food, everybody was crowded around. Nobody was wearing masks. Everybody was touching one another in, in, in a very Christian way. And we're, so we're, we're very, very close to one another in proximity, um, and we're breathing each other's air. In fact, I would say the most dangerous place that I've been so far was at the clinic where we were bunched up outside trying to get into the clinic 
um, outside people that were waiting for the COVID test. If I get COVID, it's probably from the clinic. And, and I need to clarify something. You said something a while ago that I, the only one that didn't have my negative test back. That was an administrative issue. It's not because yep. I have a, yep. a problem. Yes. I feel great today. And well, we hope it's not a problem. We don't know. They may not have given it back because they don't want to deliver the bad news. Well, <laughs> no, I'm not buying that. I cancel that in Jesus' name. No way. No, it's administrative, whatever the reason for that may be. But uh, this trip was one from the beginning to this point that's had all kinds of little roadblocks along the way, which is a, a trial for persevering and following what you feel like God is wanting you to do. And I've been blessed by being here, and I'd like to think about in some small way others have been blessed because of the Jesus in all of us uh, letting his light shine. So it's been a joy. And one of the things that I think is really powerful is um, we didn't come empty-handed. So we had, we had friends that donated items that we were able to give. Yeah, we did. Uh, we were actually, uh, when you do a mission trip with us, you never know. Actually, if you do a mission trip anywhere, you never know. So flexibility is the key. We never know. We never know. <laughs> we never know from one day to the next. But we had brought tools and stuff along and, uh, because we were going to install cabinets, only to find out that the cabinets had already been installed, we think. And so we were able to give those tools to three different organizations here and just bless them with that. Uh, we gave a sewing machine that somebody, we didn't even know they were bringing it. Someone showed up and they're like, I've got a sewing machine in my suitcase. And it's like, you've got a what? I've got a sewing machine. So we were able to bless the Chinese here with the sewing machine. Um, I just want to point out that the guy who brought the sewing machine retired from the Pentagon. Like he's with, he was with CENTCOM. I had no clues, like a commander in the Navy, graduate from you know the, the Naval Academy. We had a diplomat with us, like a senator from Brazil. Uh, we had pastors with us from big churches, small churches. It was phenomenal, the kind of breakup that we had. So you didn't expect somebody from Naval Intelligence, like a Naval Intelligence officer that worked with like Flynn and Mad Dog Mattis and the president um, worked at the Pentagon. You wouldn't expect him to just you know, randomly show up with a sewing machine. No, you wouldn't. And he wasn't like vocal about it either. It's not like, hey, look what I brought. It's like we had to pull it out of him. And he's just like, yeah, I, I'm the one I brought it. And so we were able to bless them with that. And, you know, three sets of Milwaukee M12 um, battery drills that we were able to bless. Um, it's given the nomenclature for our drills. That's right. So, <laughs> but the, um, the Dream Center, and we can't like finish this podcast without giving a big shout out to uh, Barbara here at the Dream Center. Um, when I grow up, I want to be just like her. I mean, she's just like a little spitfire. But um, her right-hand man is just like besides himself with excitement that we were able to give these tools to him. He said, I, I like to buy tools. I love tools. But he said, I can't buy this quality of tool here. And so he's just besides himself that we were able to bring these tools and, and give them to him. Quick question. Do you think it would be possible for us to run an even bigger group than 40 people? This time we had 40 people. What, I mean, do, do you think that we would be able to double that? We'd be able to get them here. <laughs> Would we be able to keep track of them and get them home? I don't know. Maybe. You'd have to have two Brendas, almost, <laughs> to do that, and maybe some others, and certainly doubling of the team leaders, I think, which turned out to be a great, uh, you know, uh, move administratively or functionally. But no, a two Brendas, she has been such a workhorse on all this sort of thing. And, of course, we look forward to the day when COVID won't be such a consternation to us. But what, what a financial imposition as well as just a physical imposition. Oh, yeah. I mean, since I just started looking at it within the last couple of days, I realized I've spent more than between twelve to $15,000 U.S. dollars just on COVID tests. 
just on COVID tests. I mean, I, I'm getting tested almost every week, sometimes several times a week in just one trip. I've been tested three times that I had to pay three separate times before I even got to the airport, had to pay th for three different tests. And I think those three different tests cost me about 600 US dollars altogether. And so this is something that is financially a big burden. Time-wise, it's a burden. I think emotionally, it's a burden because you got here, here, anybody that's thinking about traveling, this is one of the things you have to now deal with. If I get my COVID test too early so I don't have to stress, then it will expire before I get on the plane. If I get it too late, then I may not have the results before I get on the plane. We've actually had people that were supposed to be on our trip when we had our business forum last week that missed their flight because their COVID test did not come out in time. I've been there. I was almost there where I almost missed my flight. I was able to catch my flight here to the Middle East by one hour. If I would have had my test one hour earlier, I would not have been able to get on my flight. And the reason was they didn't calculate it when I got onto the flight in Bozeman, Montana, which is out in the middle of nowhere. They calculated it for when I, after I transferred in Atlanta, arrived in uh, Amsterdam and then had changed planes from Amsterdam. They said from Amsterdam, it has to be 48 hours. So we were this close, one hour away from not, so this has been a big challenge, but the 40 people that we're traveling with, and I believe this is a result of prayer, were so easy, so willing to do whatever was needed. They didn't want to be a burden. They didn't want to be a problem. They wanted to be a blessing. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think I have the best group, but that's only because I've spent so much time with them. But I had, stop shaking your head. I had um, the younger guys and um, to be with them was just like, I know that there's people out there that care about this stuff. I know that there's people out there that care about the Great Commission. I know there's people out there that care about the unreached, but to be with them, to spend time with them, I mean, we're in our office so often, right? So we don't get to see humans that much. <laughs> so these kind of trips, for, like for me, it was just such a, an encouragement and a, and a blessing to see. And all of them said, I mean, two of them want to be missionaries and there were four of them in total and all of them said that they wanted to come back. And that's on their own accord. That's not because they're trying to impress anyone. That's not because they're trying to give the right answer. That's because they genuinely, sincerely have either developed a heart or this trip has uh, only encouraged that to grow. And I just pray that they take it back with them and somehow um, try and ignite that in others around them. I mean, Will, you've been involved in missions for a couple of decades. I mean, you lived in Taiwan, you served in Taiwan, you actually worked together with a travel, uh, Thailand, sorry, worked in Thailand, worked together with a travel agency that, you know, was helping put together meetings, helped to put together tours, helped arrange travel. Uh, I connected with you when you were living in Thailand and that's when we were, you know, working together with the Chinese to get some data and we got back to Jerusalem.com up and going at that time. This group that we have that, you know, that has, has come in, one of the things that is interesting is that they didn't necessarily sign up to do their own ministry. But one of the things that Back to Jerusalem does, and this is for people to know, is that we don't try to own you. Like we, this is a vision trip, but not just a vision on how you can support Back to Jerusalem more. 
Like, if God is calling you to do something, we're happy about bringing people here, exposing them to the mission field, exposing them to the people on the mission field that they can contact independently without Back to Jerusalem and come and serve God without having to go through Back to Jerusalem. So I don't think that we try to channel or control or maintain our support. We're willing to let our support go, I feel. In fact, uh, we're kind of the opposite. We don't want them to come through us because we don't, we don't want to babysit them. We don't want to hold our hands. But, um, I mean, sometimes we do, and we don't have a lot of opportunity to put Westerns on the mission field. So now and then we do because the work is all being done by the Chinese. They're the heroes. They're the ones that are out there just um, making it happen. But um, that's absolutely right. So we love to bring people out, show them what's going on, and just see if they will make the direct contacts themselves. And we've had it happen. People will come back here on their own, and we don't even know they're here. We've had people that contacted us and said, can we come? And we said, sorry, we don't really have anything for you to do, only to find them here on their own. A single girl that is here just said, fine, if you don't have room for me, I'm just going to go on my own. And she came on her own, and she's just, like, kicking it here. I mean, just reaching out to people. Um, We baptized three people that she brought to us. And it was only then that we realized that we had rejected her. (laughs) And here she is on her own, you know bringing people to Christ. And, and that's what makes us excited. I mean, yeah. we don't want you to come. I should reward that. It's not that we don't want you to come for us, but we're not trying to like just get you to come work for our organization. This is not about, look what BTJ is doing. Yeah. It's not about, you know, you know, come work for us. You know, it's about here's what's happening in the world. You let God speak to your heart and then do whatever he's telling you to do. Yeah. In fact, when people come here, we're not having them wear Back to Jerusalem shirts. We're not announcing the name Back to Jerusalem. We'd rather you not mention the name of Back to Jerusalem while you're here for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. So we connect with other organizations. We promote those other organizations. In fact, we're here doing filming for two other organizations to promote their ministry and their work mm-hmm. and then having people independently connect with them to build that up. And I think that that's part of, that's not us being good. That is us adopting and adapting to the Chinese DNA, which is work underground, promote others, build up others, and you kind of stay anonymous a little bit and may the name of Jesus be made famous. Um, one of the things that I think is, is also really interesting is that we've seen several people, like you said, come and serve here independently. Um, and some of the people said that, you know, they think that they'll be coming back again. Pastor Al, did you talk to anybody that said that they may yeah, come back? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole group doesn't come back, <laughs> uh, you know, quite frankly. Uh, but one very particular this morning, I asked just directly. And so, yes, there's an intention of coming back. Yeah. But, you know, this is uh, one of our friends uh, from Texas, George. He's been with us back in 11 or 12 at one of our earlier stateside kind of meetings. And so it's good to connect with him. And I saw this young lady that we're talking about at an Iranian conference uh, in the States and came across her path again. And so we're seeing this, this we're, we're bumping into one another in the concept of those spirits that are wanting to do something for the Lord. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if everyone doesn't come back. And, and they will be happy to join the glory group too. Yeah. <laughs> that was the name of Pastor Al's group was the glory group. Um, I, let me wrap this up by saying this. As we were here, we cannot forget the main reason why we came. It was great to go to the historical sites. It was great to go and do the distribution of the food and meet with the refugees. But we really wanted to come to expose people to the Chinese that were on the field. You got to see Back to Jerusalem in action, which is providing the platform, 
for the Chinese that now have visas, they're able to be independent, they're able to make an impact and, and build up connections with locals. You were able to go to one of the businesses that they had started up. Can you just describe it a little bit, uh, you know, what we were, what, what the Chinese were doing? I mean, not in detail, obviously, but enough to kind of let the supporters see the Chinese through your eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember that when the Chinese go to a nation to, to be a missionary, they become part of the community, right? So they, they don't, they're, they're not able to come because of the nations they go to. They're not able to come openly as a missionary. And so, like we had our business forum, the reason is because so, so many of the, the ways that the Chinese are able to live and work in the areas that they do is through business. And I think that the people that came with us, they knew that because you've talked about it a million times. They know that that's how the Chinese work. But I think to, to actually see it, and I mean, you know, the store we went to, it looked like a store. You would never know. You would, there, there would never be a thought in your mind that anything else was going on. But then it allows them to minister here um, almost freely. Of course, it's not freely, but it means it removes the suspicion from them because they're able to live and work. Um, where they're at and provide for themselves so it becomes sustainable so it's not that they're relying on um, churches back home or in the west or even from us um, supporting them for the next 10 years but they're able to be self-sustaining and even expand right I mean we were able to go to a store we went to one and it was um, a store here and then they took us two doors down which was another store that had happened because the first store had done so well so to see that multiplying I think was pretty incredible. And I mean, that's something that we continue to ask our supporters to pray for, pray for the Chinese and what they're doing, especially here in northern Iraq. We're actually working with a, with a team member who feels led to go and serve in Turkey. And if you ever want to come and join Back to Jerusalem on a vision trip, we would, we would love to have you. Uh, we do about one or two a year, depending whether it's a COVID year or not, but we would love to have you come and join us. We think that it is a life-changing experience. We've seen so many people that have quit their job and started ministry full-time to be able to, to preach the gospel in the closed nations between China and Jerusalem. I want to thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Iraq. God bless you.